The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Everyone and welcome to the forum again. Uh, the topic today is Show Me the Evidence Why Richard Dawkins Will Not Find God. We have a special guest speaker, Dr. Lewis Jones. Um, just before I get Lewis up here, let me explain a bit about how this meeting works if you haven't been here before. Uh, Dr. Jones will speak for about 20 minutes. And then uh, there'll be plenty of times after he's finished for you to ask questions about what he said or to make comments. And the way to do that, there's three ways. There should be a, a blank slip of paper inside your program. You can write your question or your comment on that and just hold it up at the appropriate time at the end and we'll collect it and give it to me and I'll read it out. You can text a question or a comment and you'll see the number will, uh, will come up on the screen. I'll, ju I'll just need to fix it up in a minute. Or you, can, or you can just stick up your hand. So, Lewis, why don't you come out and we'll get to know you a little bit. Hello. G'day, thanks for coming in today. Uh, tell, us, tell us about your science background. Uh, yeah, well, uh, lots, of, lots of years of study. Um, but I did uh, I studied physics um, undergrad and then um, astrophysics for a postgrad degree. Okay. Um, yeah. Tell me, what actually is astrophysics? Well, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's you take the principles of physics that you've discovered, you know, um, the, the basic principles of laws of the, the universe, and you apply them to things out there in the heavens rather than, you know, things here on Earth. You know, instead of looking at rocks here, you look at stars there. But it's the same physical principles that you use. Okay. I've been, I did refer to you last week as a rocket scientist. Right. Is, that, is that correct or not? No, that's that's not correct. I, I could, I yeah, I could not help you get to the moon um, or anywhere, Mars or or a comet, for instance. We've okay. just almost landed something on a comet. I had nothing to do with that, sure. nor would I ever have had. Okay, I'll cross you off Sorry. my list of getting to the moon then. And um, now I'm assuming that you're more than just a super brain. Tell us about your family, some of your interests. Ah, uh, wow. Um, well, my family is. Um, a significant part of my interest. Uh, I'm married to Jenny about 15 years and um, three kids and they're all in primary school, sort of 11, 9 and 7 and um, yeah, it's, um, you know, life's pretty pretty cruisy with the family at the moment, you know, they all, they, yeah. they dress themselves and feed themselves and that sort of thing so it's pretty easy. Okay. <laughs> Before the teenage years. <laughs> yes, that's right. And what do you like to do to relax? Oh, um, it's been a little while since I've relaxed. Um, no, I, I I like I like to read. Uh, I like to read read books. I like to um, uh, play games with with the kids. Um, I, I love strategy board game type things. So mm -hmm. yeah, good. That, okay. That sort of All right. Well, I'll leave you to it. So okay. I'll ju I'll just need to fix up the laptop quickly. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Right, well, okay, <laughs> we'll let Craig work on that, and I'll just explain myself a little bit here. Um, my, uh, my aim today is really to try and 
um, drop a few bombs on everybody um, just to see how we react. Okay, <laughs> so that, that's the that's the big picture for um, for what we're uh, what we're going to try to get done today. And I think I I think if I've counted right, it's probably about four different things, uh, four different ideas to get your heads around. And um, and then you know we'll have hopefully you know good time for for questions and uh, and comment. Um, ha- having one of these outlines or handouts or whatever in front of you is good. Just it's got a few quotes in there, and so you know you can scribble some notes or you, when you take it home and look at it later or whatever. But it'd probably be helpful. Um, everything will be up on the screen as well. So that's how we'll how we'll go. Um, now yes, it's a little bit of a cheeky title. Um, Why Richard Dawkins won't find God. This isn't actually a swipe at Richard Dawkins today or or atheists in fact in particular at all, or in general I should say um, at, at all. Um, but it's it's more about uh, how we evaluate evidence, and um, so it's not going to be about what evidence there is for God out there in the world, but in fact, um, what affects the way we evaluate evidence. Uh, so it's a little bit more of the philosophy sort of of science side of things rather than actual science today, okay? So get our expectations right. Um, but yeah, so evidence. Uh, so he, here's Richard Dawkins uh, on the, this question of evidence, an open letter that he wrote to his daughter that he included in um, A Devil's Chaplain, his book A Devil's Chaplain. He says this, have you ever wondered how we know the things that we know? How do we know, for instance, that the stars, which look like tiny pinpricks in the sky, are really huge balls of fire, like the sun, and very far away? And how do we know that the earth is a smaller ball whirling around one of those stars, the sun? The answer to these questions is evidence, right? Okay. Um, we also um, probably are familiar with uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, you know, kind of view of, of Christian's relationship to evidence as well. Um, and and uh, I, I don't know if I'll get back to this. Feel free to ask me about this. Um, and I do have some things I could say about this if you, if you want to ask me. But faith means blind trust in the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. So not just Christians don't just believe things without any evidence. We actually believe things contrary to the evidence, okay? So um, that's kind of the, the, the picture of the relationship between Christians and evidence uh, for Richard Dawkins. But what the, this next statement is the one that I want us to use to kind of frame the discussion uh, today about, about evidence. That is this. This is from the God Delusion. Um, God's existence or non-existence is a scientific fact about the universe, discoverable in principle, if not in practice. If he existed and chose to reveal it, God himself could clinch the argument noisily and unequivocally in his favor. Um, and, well, there's some sense in that, isn't there? There's some feeling that that's probably right. Uh, but, you see, there's, there's this question about um, God being this fact of the universe, okay, and discoverable in principle, if not in practice. And so I'm going to just point out a, a, a more prosaic um, uh, picture of this kind of idea from um, Victor Stanger's book called the, um, the God, the Failed Hypothesis. Um, and his argument sort of runs like this. Hypothesize a God uh, who plays an important role in the universe. Assume that God has specific attributes that should provide objective evidence for his existence. And then, you know, look for such evidence with an open mind and, and so on. And on, on the book goes. And this is how he opens the book. And then he goes and, and launches on this quest for evidence for God. But the, my, I just want to draw your attention to point two. And that is, if you're going to look for God 
then you do need to assume that this God is going to have some attributes that are going to allow himself to be discovered, right? And that's the point that Richard Dawkins is making in that, in that statement there. It's, it's the, God's existence is this fact about the universe. Um, so, so is this right? I mean, it seems right that we should be able to discover God like this, but, but is it right? Um, and, uh, that's what I want to, that's what I want to try to unpack today. So, um, so first of all, I, I want to, um, uh, well, yeah, so I guess, um, uh, the question I'm asking is, sh- is there, or should there be a smoking gun for God in, in creation, uh, around us? Okay. There's not much smoke there, but. It's, um, it's the only thing I could find um, for free um, on the internet. So there you have it. It's a gun, and it has just been fired. Um, all right, well, on, on your outline, we're up to point two. So I want to ask this question. What difference should a god make in, in creation? What, should, we able be, should we be able to find the smoking gun? And so I want to um, use Dawkins' quote there um, about in principle and in practice. Okay? So I'm going to start with in practice... Do we expect to find this smoking gun? And so, from the um, from the naturalistic point of view, here is the the first bomb that I want to drop. From the naturalistic point of view, I want to say, actually, no. In practice, I don't expect those who have the presuppositions of naturalism, and we'll look at what that means in just a second, um, to be able to find God in creation, to somehow dig up God in creation. So um, here's a quote from, um, from Dawkins. Again, uh, this one's from The God Delusion. And so he says this, an atheist in this sense of philosophical naturalist is somebody who believes there is nothing beyond the natural uh, physical world, no supernatural uh, supernatural creative intelligence lurking behind the observable universe, no soul that outlasts the body, and no miracles, except in the sense of natural phenomena that we don't yet understand. If there is something that appears to lie beyond the natural world, as is now imperfectly understood, we hope eventually to understand it and embrace it within the natural. Okay, so um, you can see that... Uh, naturalism, the idea that there is, there are no supernatural causes at work in the world. Um, everything is a physical, natural phenomenon. Um, and if that's your presupposition, then when evidence is presented um, for something counter to that, you know, well, what about this? What about that? What about the fine-tuning of the universe, etc.? And on, on the list goes. The Christians have lots of ideas about what kind of evidence um, is good evidence for God from creation. But what is the response from the presuppositions of naturalism? The response is, um, this is uh, a natural phenomena. What you have presented to me is, in fact, a natural phenomena that we do not yet understand. Right? Because that is your presupposition about the world. There are no supernatural causes. Evidence, um, whatever evidence is presented, is simply a natural phenomena that we don't yet understand. So... um, uh, that's the first bomb. Uh, I don't expect people coming from a naturalistic point of view to accept evidence that we have um, for, for God. Now, um, here, and here's Dawkins kind of, in, in, this is a little bit of a, an illustration in a sense, again, from the, from the God delusion um, of that very point. Creative intelligence is being evolved, necessarily arrived late in the universe and therefore cannot be responsible for designing it, God, in the sense defined, um, is a delusion. Okay, so um, we don't need to unpack this whole statement, but the the idea there is that 
whatever this God is that, you know, Christians are arguing for, uh, is, is subject to and part of the same physical reality that the, that, uh, of, of the universe. That is, the only kind of intelligence there could be in the world is intelligence that has evolved in the same way that everything else is, has evolved. So there's no concept of, that is, his presuppositions of naturalism um, mean that the God he's searching for is a God that's actually part of this creation, made of the stuff of this creation, rather than some other kind of supernatural cause, because he doesn't believe in supernatural causes. Okay, so you can see how, how, that, how that happens. Now, um, we have in, in science this idea of the inference to the best explanation, which is simply a, 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 a way of saying we try to follow the evidence wherever it leads. Okay, that's, that's basically what we're trying to say. But but I want to say, no, that's actually not the way it works in practice. In practice, we have, what we are working on is the inference to the best naturalistic explanation. That's really what's, what's going on um, with um, someone from a naturalistic point of view. And, and I have to say in science in general, and I'll, that's, the next, that's the next point I want to make. Um, but from the naturalistic point of view, I don't expect to find that smoking gun. I don't expect people to find that smoking gun. Now... Um, Science, on the other hand, operates on similar or uh, related but slightly different presuppositions, okay? So it's not a pure presupposition of naturalism um, that there are no supernatural causes, but scientists, when they go in the lab on Monday morning, the assumption that they make about the world is that they will be able to find a physical cause for whatever phenomena they observe in the world. So it's not the assumption that there are no supernatural causes out there at all, but when the apple falls from the tree, the scientist thinks, okay, what is the physical cause of that event? Now, a, a, a Christian who's a scientist might actually think in their mind, oh, God did it, okay? Um, that's, that's fine, and, and, and as a Christian, I, I believe that's true. <laughs> Anything that happens in the world, God did. The question is, has it helped you work out how the world works? Um, and why the apple fell from the tree? Well, not exactly. And so science constrains itself to, to investigate the question of physical causes and effects. And so the assumption that science makes as it does its work is that um, we will be able to find a physical cause to explain this physical phenomenon. And so that's a, it's a slightly different assumption. Uh, rather than just naturalism, we call that methodological naturalism. That is, in the doing of your work, you assume you can find physical causes for physical phenomena that you've observed. Um, now, it turns out that this, um, this idea of science has risen out of um, a Christian theology of, of creation. Okay? So, so, for instance... Um, uh, you know, maybe the maybe the most famous <laughs> statement in the Bible, um, verse chapter one, verse one. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, th- this state, what this statement t- teaches us is that, well, sorry, in, uh, among other things, what this statement t- teaches us is that there was God and there is creation, and they are different things. Okay, there's a God who made creation, and that creation is distinct. From the Creator. So, uh, in in Christian theology, we'd call that a uh, creation is a contingent reality. That is, um, it's entirely dependent upon God, and yet 
it is distinct, a distinct reality. Um, and so, uh, in a sense, it's a little bit like the relationship between my hand and this clicker, okay? That is, the clicker is dependent on me, on my hand, for kind of keeping it, keeping it where it is, okay? Sustaining it where it is. And yet, the clicker is not part of me, and I'm not part of the clicker. I can do things to it, I can manipulate it, I can move it around, so I can be involved in its life, um, but it is not um, itself part of me, and I'm not part of it. And that's, that's in a way, the, the, the picture that the Bible gives of how creation and the creator are related to each other. Um, and so, the, the implications that this has for science um, are that we, that create, we should expect creation to operate really on its own terms. Um, so that if I lived in the universe, the clicker universe, um, then I could, I could understand life, I could understand how the clicker works without having any reference to the hand that's holding it here. I don't need to know anything about the hand in order to understand the mechanisms of the clicker. Completely um, unrelated. And so, and so the, the early scientists, well, really the, the kind of the philosophers who were battling about how we were going to know what we know in the 17th century, um, the, the rationalists and the empiricists fighting it out, um, one, of the, one of the main arguments of the empiricists, um, the guys who thought you should go use thermometers to measure stuff and rulers and that's they go out there in the world and, and test things, um, in order to discover knowledge, those guys, one of their major arguments was, well, that's the way we expect the world to be. We, sh- we expect the world to be intelligible and, and understandable on its own terms because of the way God made it in the first place. And so all of this is to say that, um, all of this is to say that in principle, not just in practice, but in principle, in the day-to-day operations of the world, we still don't expect to find the smoking gun of God. So we have God um, sustaining the world here. Um, we call this methodological naturalism. Um, but in the, in, so in the investigation of the world, we don't expect to find so much the signature of the, of the hand um, as we investigate the physical causes and effects. And so, again, um, in principle, not just in practice, we don't have this smoking gun. Now, um, this next bit, I'll, uh, I won't skip, but I will skim over um, because I, I, I can feel the objections um, so far. Uh, and, but, but, I, but, I'll, but so that's bomb number two. In practice, the naturalistic worldview is not going to discover God in, in creation. In principle, we actually don't expect to see particular signatures of God in the day-to-day workings of creation. Um, uh, and this third one is this, and that is point three on your outline. What difference might God make? Um, because we do know, um, whoever, whatever Christians we have here, will be very familiar with this verse of the Bible from, from Romans chapter one, um, which, which tells us, in fact, what I'm saying isn't quite right, is it? Because, um, because God has actively decided to reveal himself in creation. So I've got to account for that somehow. So here, here we go. Um, what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to people, hum, humanity, um, because God has shown it to them. Uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Okay? So ba- basically, the statement is saying, well, God has revealed himself in creation, 
you can know that God is there by looking at creation. Um, you might not be able to discover much about him, um, you know, eternal power, divine nature. I, I think you can summarize those ideas as, you know, God is big um, and he's not like us. Something, something like that, maybe, uh, would summarize those ideas. Um, you're not going to discover much about him, but his existence seems to be painted um, in the universe. Well, fair enough. Um, and I think that, um, uh, you know, images like this from the Hubble Space Telescope, um, it, in fact, except for that bright, shiny little um, uh, spiky object in the middle, every single dot um, in, that, in that image is a galaxy, by the way. <laughs> thousands and thousands of them in just a tiny little pencil beam of the sky. Um, but it's this kind of knowledge, in a sense, you gain of God. That is, the majesty and the wonder and the poetry of creation is where we see God in creation rather than in, in, those kind of, in the day-to-day causes and effects uh, of the world. Um, and, and, in fact, Richard Dawkins himself um, makes the point that, um, or admits, I don't know how to say it, but he makes the point that whenever he walks out at night and looks up at the sky and sees the, the wonder of creation, he actually has to keep telling himself that there is no agent behind this, there is no intelligence behind this, um, because it just looks like there is. Um, he's amazed by that, um, but, he, but he knows that there isn't, and so he keeps you know, schooling himself to, to remember that. But, that. but that's the idea, right? God has revealed this in creation. Um, the, the thing about this kind of revelation is that um, it's kind of like trying to get to know someone. Like, if you wanted to get to know me, um, I, made a, um, I made a birdhouse uh, in, um, in industrial arts in, in year seven. And so, like, trying to get to know God through, you know, this um, is a little bit like trying to get to know me by examining the birdhouse I made um, in industrial arts in year seven. I mean, you kind of learned something about me, um, that I lacked uh, skill um, in what I was doing, etc. But, um, but you don't really, there's no way to get to know me. Um, and, yeah, yeah, there's no way to get to know me. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, now, I'll skip over Francis Bacon. You can ask me about this if you want to um, later. I'm not sure. Sh- oh, there we go. Um, but the, the Bible also, in fact, just before this statement in Romans 1, the, the previous verse says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then, you know, for what can be known about God is plain to them, etc. So in the, in the preamble to this idea that God has revealed himself in creation is in fact the statement that everyone has rejected that knowledge anyway. <laughs> that is, we do look up at creation and we think, oh yeah, I need to remind myself that there is no agent behind that. Um, and so even, even in the little bit that God has revealed, it turns out that people are not paying attention to it anyway. And so even there, there's not the smoking gun um, that we would expect to find in principle or in practice. So let me, let me finish by saying there is a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel. Okay? There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> and that is point four, the God who speaks has made all the difference, okay? That is, um, if, if you've got a God who creates the universe and then kind of wanders off and lets it go, well, th- sure, God exists, and you might be able to imagine that God exists from looking up at creation, but 
you won't know how to respond to that God. You won't know what to do, how to relate to that God. Um, and and you, you may be very concerned. You may think that God requires something of you for giving you all of this great creation. Um, you may be very concerned about how you can relate to this God, but you won't, you won't be able to know uh, because God has not spoken. God has not revealed that to you. Um, well, but God has spoken, and he's spoken in the Bible. Um, and what he... Um, and I'll just recount... Um, to, to kind of finish this off, I'll recount a story that Jesus told um, about a rich man and a poor man. And th- this, this rich man um, lived in this fancy mansion and had plenty to eat, and the poor man lived at his gate, and the rich man never did anything to look after this guy. All right? And, you know, in the course of time, they both die, um, and the, uh, the poor man goes to heaven, to, to Abraham's bosom in, in heaven. And the rich man... Uh, he goes to hell, and he's in torment there, in the fire of hell. And, um, and the, but the rich man calls out to Father Abraham, the God figure in the story, you know, can you please um, send, me, send Lazarus with a cup of water so I can get something to drink? And, oh, no, can't do that. There's a big chasm in between us. We can't get there. Um, he says, okay, well, um, in, in that case, he says, and this is how the story ends. He answered, then I beg you, Father... Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Jesus finishes by saying, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So you see this point about evidence and, and a kind of naturalistic presuppositions. It's actually all caught up here in this story. That is, Jesus says, you know, your friends might say to you, just if God just stood in front of me, I'd believe. Or if God did this miracle, I would believe. And Jesus says, God is standing in front of you and you don't believe. I'm about to rise from the dead and you're not going to believe. Right. So this idea of evidence and presuppositions is very serious. And Jesus says the way to get at knowledge of God, if you want to actually work out who God is and whether he's really there, he said the God has been shouting at you for for thousands of years. Um, in the in the pages of the Bible. So I, just want, I want to finish by saying, um, that's the fourth bomb. The best evidence we actually have for God is the Bible. And in fact, Jesus says that he is God. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And so it's Jesus wrapped in the Bible or something like that um, is maybe a way to say it. But the Bible is the best evidence for God. If you want, if you're interested in finding out whether you think you should believe in God, Read, read the, one of the stories of Jesus' life. If you, if you have a friend um, who wants you to answer, you know, give, give them evidence for God's existence in the world, well then hand them a bit of the Bible and let them read that because I think that's, that's the God-sanctioned, as it were, evidence um, for him in, in the world. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that and we'll uh, open it up to questions. Thanks very much. Okay, well, as I said uh, at the beginning, if um, oh, right. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to ask Dr. Jones a question, there's three ways of doing it: by filling out the slip of paper. Uh, let's see, Scott. 
Scott, would you mind just wandering around and picking up any questions that people have on the paper? Just If you've written a, hand, a question on the bit of paper, just hold it up and Scott will grab it and pass it on to me. Uh, text your questions to that number or you could just... You can just stick up your hand and call it out, and Lewis, Lewis will repeat it back into the microphone for okay. the um, for the recording. So, does does anyone have just have any general que questions from the floor? First of all, okay. Okay. Right. That's sorry. I, I confess I haven't read um, the book, but um, but uh, yeah, I I think there. Uh, look, yeah. Um, until someone else puts up their hand, I'll I'll just keep talking. Um, but uh, the, I, I think there are issues there. But I, I think it's it, it's not. They're not. Um, they're not malicious. I don't think people, you know, who, who, you know, don't agree with Christians about whether there's a God or not, or, but I don't think they're being malicious when they turn things upside down or, or require more evidence than maybe is necessary or, or something. I think, I think it ha really comes down to people's presuppositions. And Christians, I mean, I should have said at the beginning, Christians do the exact same thing, don't we? <laughs> that is, we, we, we assume God in the mix, um, and God is an answer for us for lots of things, whereas the naturalistic point of view says has different set of answers. We all have this, have blind spots because of our presuppositions, but our presuppositions also help us to see things that other people don't see. So it's it's not at all in good or bad either way, um, but um, but yes, I think I think really those issues of you know kind of how we handle evidence really are most of the time not malicious really, but but really come down to our presuppositions, and, and so we find ourselves talking like this um, and not being able to understand each other. Yeah. Anyway. Um, sorry, there's one hand over there, but yeah. So, here you go. Is it really just a battle of worldviews? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, th I think a lot of our conversations uh, are just a, a mismatch of worldviews, yes. Um, a lot of our discussions with our friends um, are basically a mismatch of worldviews, come down to that. I, I do think that. Um, we uh, Ultimately, as a Christian, I mean, I, I'm... I'm uh, barracking for, for God's involvement in those conversations. Right? Like I, I, I want to say, that's, that's why I want to say, well, give someone the Bible. Because what the Bible is, is God, God says he's actually speaking. And so it's like me standing here speaking to you. You know, that is, if I believe that about the Bible, then in, in, instead of trying to argue about questions of evidence with your friends, maybe to say, look, if you really want my, my best shot at this, how about just sit down with me and read the Bible for a little bit? Because that, that's really the best I've got, you know? And, and yeah, so that's, that's what I'd say to that. Who actually is Richard Dawkins and what, what is his background? Thank, thank you for that. I apologize uh, for not introducing the man that I was talking about here. Um, he, um, uh, he 
Well, I mean, what he is now is effectively a professional atheist, okay? That is effectively what he is now. What, what he, his life and career has been as a zoologist at, at Oxford University. Um, and uh, he, he seems to, I mean, in, in, uh, in The God Delusion, his, his book, The God Delusion, it seems around his teenage years, he sort of confirmed his atheism, um, and from there has been um, an advocate for for the non-existence of God and and using science to to think you know to to prove that God doesn't exist and so he's become something of really the kind of chief public atheist it, it really in the world um, at this point although I think I think he's kind of he's he's kind of given up a little bit and let other people take over now but um uh, but yeah that that's who he is and he's written lots of books lots of books on sort of popularizing science. Um, in evolutionary theory, um, but he's also written lots, uh, you know, lo- lots of things on um, atheism as well. So that's who Richard Dawkins is. Okay. How would you address skeptics who dismiss the Bible as evidence? Um, he, he, I mean, that, well, that's a great question. Um, I think m- my response. Um, is to uh, pray for them um, and 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 ask them to read it anyway. <laughs> um, I, I I think I mean it, it depends on like you know like th- this point over here. Um, it depends on the reasons they dismiss the Bible. Are they dismissing the Bible as evidence because they don't believe in God and so God couldn't could not have written this book um, in principle, or are they dismissing it because they think there are historical reasons why it's unreliable, well, that's another matter. If, they, if, that's, if that's the case, then, then I think there, you know, we have plenty to say about that. Um, and you know, historians, Christian and non-Christian, have plenty to say about the reliability of, of, the, of the Bible and the gospel stories and so on. And so I think we can take them to that sort of evidence. But ultimately, I just want to say, I think ultimately, we do want to say to people, look, you just need to read some of this with me. And we'll talk about it. I won't bother you anymore after that. If you just read some of it with me, I'll, we'll have it, you know, we can talk about it after that, yeah. Quite a few text questions coming in. Does science reveal anything about God? If so, how does that help people understand God or want to find out more about him? Um, well, okay, so, I, I mean, the answer is... Uh, <laughs> A big yes and a little no. Um, that is, the big yes is the Bible says that God has revealed himself in creation. And so I take it, yes, as science unravels the mysteries of, of creation, science is telling us all sorts of things about God, not about his character necessarily, but just about the majesty and the wonder uh, of this creator. Um, so I do think that science tells us that kind of thing. Um, I think... Uh, Science also raises questions about our life as well, which makes us ponder who we are. I mean, evolutionary theory is one, right? That raises lots of questions about human beings. What is the nature of a human being? And so we ask these questions. Do we like this idea? You know, and, and we, so we, we struggle with these things. So science raises questions like that. We're this, we're, we live on this tiny little planet around an insignificant commonplace star and the edges of one galaxy out of hundreds of billions of galaxies. And you think, that has got to make you ask questions about the significance of humanity. What are we doing? We're just, we're nothing in this universe, right? So in those kinds of ways, yeah, I, I do think science actually 
kind of reveals God in the, the kind of God question in us as we, as we interact with it. Um, but then on the other hand, I do want to say that this whole idea of methodological naturalism sh- should teach us that in the day-to-day operation of the world, we, we expect to be able to find the physical cause for a physical phenomena that we observe. Now, it doesn't mean that we always will, right? It doesn't mean that we always will. Um, Jesus rises from the dead. I don't expect we will ever find a scientific answer to that event in history. Um, But that doesn't mean that science um, is unraveled because of that. Science, um, unanswered questions for science are, are great things. It just means more PhD students and more grant funding and whatever, right? Unanswered questions are fine. There's no problem with unanswered questions. Um, so I'm not saying we'll answer every question. Yes, God is active in the world. God does do things. He part of the Red Sea and he rose Jesus from the dead and on, and on it goes. There are things for which we will not find um, physical answers. But in the day-to-day operations, I think we will. And so we, I don't think we expect to find God working there um, well, sorry, revealing himself there in those details. Yeah. Okay, would you like to put your hands together to thank Dr. Jones? <laughs> Time's up, sorry about that. Just uh, three, three things uh, about good events that are coming up. It is Science Month at, at the forum this month and there's an A4 sheet that summarises what's coming up during the month of August. So next week... Uh, Ian Powell is speaking on the topic, No Jesus, No Science. So Dr Jones said, and I quote him, science has arisen out of a Christian view of creation. So the claim is that the fact that we have science today comes out of a Christian worldview. So I think Ian, Ian Powell is going to explore that idea more, more next week. Uh, then the week after that, there's there's going to be a panel discussion on what does science say about the purpose of mankind. And Dr Jones will be back on that panel with a few other people. And I also want to draw your attention to the big event that we have in the Sydney Town Hall on Monday the 25th of August and we've got Dr John Lennox who is a Professor of Mathematics from Oxford University and also a Fellow in the Philosophy of, of Science He's going to be speaking at the Town Hall on the 25th. The topic is Cosmic Chemistry, Do Science and God Mix? So that's the more general question of the relationship between God and and science. Uh, You can buy tickets for that um, at the City Bible Forum website, so check it out there. So thanks again, Dr Jones, for coming today and hope to see you all next week. Have a great afternoon. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.